right, we're continuing in the book of Romans, but now a brand new series in the book of Romans as we go through chapters 9, 10, and 11. And so if you are new to New Hope, uh, just so you know what we do around here, we teach through books of the Bible, and we're going through a long stretch through the book of Romans um, that started before Easter, and we're going to go through the end of August. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it with me. If you've got a Bible on your phone, got the app, whatever you need to do to get to Romans chapter 9, um, uh, we will be jumping into that in just a moment. We're calling this part of the series that all may be saved. And, and if you've read chapter 9, you're kind of like, okay, where are we going with this? So chapter 9, 11, or 9 10, 11 is about Israel, okay? And, and uh, it gets rich, it gets deep, it kind of gets complicated. So uh, I'm hoping to make some complicated things very simple this morning, as I always try to do that, right? May God's Word make sense. And so hopefully this morning, that's where we will end um, by the end of the sermon as we dig into it. Now, if you don't have one of these, last week we had one in every seat, and so hopefully you took one of these home with you. Every single series, we create a reading guide and a series guide, and that helps you during the week to spend time reading, to get into the Bible, spend time in prayer with God. And, um, and on it, we use this thing called the SOAP method, S-O-A-P, which stands for Scripture. You read the passage on the back that we have there, application, or no, observation. It's not SOAP, it's SOAP. All right, so Scripture, observation, right? You observe something about that passage, like what pops out to you. Um, application, what does that mean for you? Is there something you need to do with that? And then P is prayer. God wants to talk to us. He's a heavenly Father. He wants to know how you're doing. And so he wants to hear from you. And, and, um, and so and that becomes a conversation the more you do it. Um, but that's, that's a tool that we use. It's also on our app, the app. It's also uh, copies in the back or on the Welcome Center. Um, so it's kind of everywhere. We want to create uh, resources for you guys. And then on the bottom, there's always the memory verses. And the memory verse for this part of the series is Romans 10:13, And I'm emphasizing one word in this memory verse. And you can see it's all caps um, in Romans 10, verse 13. So let's read this all out loud together. Hopefully you're spending each day, start your quiet time just reading this a couple of times. Get it in your mind, hide it in your heart, and so that it changes your hands, how you live, how you act, right? And so this is what it says. Let's read it out loud. Everybody ready? Yeah. All right, here we go. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a great promise, isn't it? Emphasis on what? Everyone. Okay, so we're going to learn what that means over these next few weeks. What, what does this verse mean, um, and what is it talking about? So, so yeah, these are good promises that we have. All right, we're, like I said, I'm just hopping right into it. So let's stand together. I'm going to read just a part of the passage um, for today um, in Romans chapter 9. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, um, but I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. And if you're new here, we, we stand as a church when we read the Scripture at the beginning of the sermon as just a showing honor to God's Word. It's, it's as if somebody important walked in, they want to be honored. We'd stand in their presence. We do that with the Scripture because we believe it is alive, it's active. God's Holy Spirit is speaking to us through it, and, um, and we want to honor His Word this morning. So this is Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 5, and I'm reading from the NIV. You can read along in your own copy of the Scriptures says this, as, as Paul is writing this to the church in Rome, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, for those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption to sonship. Theirs is the divine glory 
the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs is the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. God, this morning, as we get into your word, I'm praying, would you just help me? Help me to make it make sense for all of us. Would you fill me with your spirit so I can speak it clearly and fill us all with your spirit so we can understand what you want to speak to each of us? Thank you for giving us your word, showing us and revealing yourself to us already in this love letter called the Bible. It's our story and it's your story with us. And so teach us this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Everybody said amen. 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 So as, as, uh, as we kind of start this morning, um, I want to share a little story. Some of you ha- have heard of uh, this story with our, something that happened to our family. It was when our, actually our son who just graduated, Nathaniel, Nat, when he was in fifth grade, um, he had uh, some, something happen inside of his body. And we didn't know what was going on, and it was very severe and, and to the point that it was, we need to go to the ER right now, because we didn't understand what was going on inside of him. And, um, and so the crazy thing about this, it was the night before Easter. So with pastors and pastor families, Easter's kind of a big deal. And so we had plans and, and a lot of things going on as well. And uh, so this happened that night. So Nikki takes him to the ER. They do all these crazy things to him. They intubate him. They put a tube down his throat. He can't talk. He's uncomfortable. He's scared. His mom is doing the best she can to hold herself together, helping her son in this process to the point where they said, we can't do anything else more, so we're going to have to transfer him to Akron. So in the middle of the night, I don't know what time it was, probably midnight or one in the morning, transferring him from Worcester to Akron. And I'm at home, obviously not sleeping, wondering what's going on in that situation, staying with our other two sons. And, um, and finally took him to Akron, where it just started a week-long process of tests and trying to figure out what is going on inside of this young boy. Now, any parent who's gone through things like that, there's something that happens inside of you um, that you wish that you could be in their place and take over, right? I don't know, that whole week as we were in the hospital and spent the night with him and, and stressed out about what in the world's going on with our son— I don't know how many times Nikki looked at Nat or I looked at Nat and just said, I wish I could switch places with you. I wish it was me going through this and not you, and we could switch right now. Because that's a, that's a parent's heart for their kid, right? Like, I don't, you don't want to see your kids in pain. I'm sharing that story to help us understand the very first part of Romans because Paul is using pretty powerful language when he's talking about his people. Because he's saying about his people, the Jews, the Israelites, that he would give up everything if all of them would experience the salvation in Jesus Christ. That's the depth of his, like, just longing and yearning for them to understand who Jesus was and the Messiah and who they were. The reality is many of them rejected their own Messiah. They rejected Jesus. And His heart was in anguish. You hear the language at the beginning of this that he's talking about? I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. I wish I myself were cursed and cut off for the sake of my people. That's that's, that's deep language, right? So we need to understand why does he have this kind of deep passion, this deep anguish 
as he gets into chapters 9, 10, and 11 because he's talking about his people. His people were the Israelites. They were the Jews. They were the religious. They were the ones that were given the promises, right? That's what this passage is saying at the very beginning that he's like, my heart is breaking because they're the one that's, that should be experiencing all the joy, all, all the, uh, um, just all the, yeah, the love, the joy, the encouragement, the blessings because of the Messiah. But they're not. They're rejecting. Now, I, I want us to understand some things about Israel because if, if you haven't been a Christian a long time, if you haven't read a lot of the Old Testament, maybe you don't understand, like, what's this whole thing with Israel? Like, what's, what's the deal um, with, with, like, God and Israel and why is that a big deal? Um, well, here, here's the thing. God has a special relationship with Israel, okay? So fill in the blanks. We always do fill in the blanks if you have your worship program. You can fill these in uh, to follow along. God has a special relationship with Israel, and Paul communicates what that special relationship is. God made a promise to the guy by, name, by the name of Abram, just on the side of a desert, and said, I pick you. You're the most righteous guy I can find on the planet, so I'm picking you, and from you, I'm going to make a great nation. You're going to have lots of kids, lots of descendants, as numerous as the stars. Your name's going to be blessed. Everybody's going to know your name. And like God kept every single one of the promises to Abram, who became Abraham, right? And Abraham and Sarah. God's promise even to the point where they had Isaac at a really old age. Like they should not have been having kids, couldn't have kids. God said, yeah, it's because it's a miraculous kid. It's my blessing. And from then started this lineage that then created this tribe. These 12 tribes became the nation of Israel out of this promise from one guy, Abraham. So God has a special relationship with Israel because that is where his promise to humanity was birthed for all of us that we get to experience today. That's what we see. The, the words that he, he said in that passage, right? The people of Israel, theirs is the adoption of sonship. Abraham was adopted by God. He just picked them. You're mine now, and you're going to be part of my people, and we're going to get more and more people. You're going to be making lots of people, all right? That's what's going to happen, and, and your people are going to be my people, and so they were a part of God's family from the very beginning. Some crazy other words. Theirs is the divine glory. If you read through the Old Testament, this is why we read the Old Testament and the New Testament, because the Old Testament is our story. It's God's history. It's our faith lineage to understand what we get to receive today, right? That, that's what happens in the Old Testament. That they were the keepers of God's presence. You read about the tabernacle, right? The Holy of Holies, where God chose, it was his decision, to let his presence rest in the Holy of Holies. They were the carriers of God's divine glory. Now, here's the good news. We all have access to that divine glory now because of Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? He was just in one place with one people all through the Old Testament and through that promise, but it was theirs first. Then the covenants, the receiving of the law, all of the promises were given through Israel. All of these things are traced back, and he says even the patriarchs, and from them in their human ancestry came the Messiah. All of these things came through Israel. God has a special relationship with Israel because those are where his promises came through. Now, all of us, we're going to read in a moment, who aren't Jewish, have been given access to every single one of those promises and covenants, which is amazing, right? Like, yes. like this is the good news of the gospel. This is what we get to walk into now. And so you get into this point in history where Paul, who was a Jew, and like if you read the first part of the book of Acts, you, you see that Paul was like a Jew of Jews. 
He was a leader. His name was Saul to begin with, and he was a religious leader, and he was like fervent about the things that he was living into with the law to the point of persecuting those that were attacking his religion, which were the Christians at that time, until he met Jesus, and Jesus showed up, blinded him, and said, why are you persecuting me? That's later on, Saul became Paul, became the greatest missionary that we've ever known, right? Like, he's the one that spread the gospel at the very beginning. And so here is Paul, a Jew, seeing his people rejecting their Messiah, and his heart is breaking, is breaking. And this point in history, it's interesting because there's a shift that's happening. At the beginning in the book of Acts, we see when Jesus ascended and the Holy Spirit came and they started preaching the gospel, it was preached first to the Jews, saying, you're the ones that crucified him. You're the ones that need to repent. And they did, and they started this thing called the church that we call the church today. It was just the gathering of believers, the Holy Spirit working, and it was mostly Jews. Well, now that Paul's been traveling and preaching, now the church is shifting from a Jewish thing to now all these Gentiles, these unreligious people are receiving the Holy Spirit, accepting the gospel work, And now they're seeing an upside-down switch in their religion, and I'm sure there was tension. We know there was. Just read the rest of the New Testament. There was tension between the Christians who were Jews and the Christians that were Gentiles because the Jews wanted to continue in some of the traditions that were never put on the Gentiles because that wasn't a part of their promise. Their promise was to receive the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ because Jesus opened it up for everybody. Okay, is everybody with me? All right, I was like, I'm trying to give you, like, the Bible history in, like, five minutes, so hopefully I'm doing a good job with it. Here, here's what we learn in this very first part of the passage that Paul is saying, is that God chose to reveal himself, his plan, and the Messiah through Israel. And so here is Paul saying, I wish Israel would accept God's Messiah, God's plan, and a relationship with him. But the majority of them were not. They were rejecting this word. They were rejecting the Messiah, and they're continuing on the tradition of the Jewish religion, but God wasn't in it. He wasn't in it. And so we, we're going to transition, because he kind of transitions a little bit now in verse 6. But I wanted us to start with that foundation, because that is the foundation of chapters 9, 10, and 11. We're going to learn throughout these chapters about Israel's past Israel's present and Israel's future, okay? That's 9, 10, and 11 that we're going to walk through. In chapter 11, I think we broke up into three weeks. There's a lot in it, okay? Um, And so that's what we're going to be unpacking and understanding, and how do we fit today into that story, the past, present, and future of Israel and God's chosen people, okay? Okay. Foundation laid. Let's move on to verse 6, okay? Okay. like I said, I'm trying to make some complicated ideas as simple as possible. All right, so let's, let's keep reading now. Verse 6. If you're with me, say, yep. yep. All right. So he continues. He says, It is not as though God's word had failed, for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. That's an interesting statement. So he's heart's breaking for Israel, but he's saying, but something shifted. Not everybody who was born in Israel, or an Israelite, is Israel. There's something bigger going on in God's story. Nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. 
On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it is not the children by physical descendant who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. So it's, it's not physical children, but children of the promise. We're going to understand this more. For this was how the promise was stated. At the appointed time, I will return and Sarah uh, will have a son. Said so not only that, but Rebecca's children were conceived at the same time by our father Isaac, yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told. Do you hear that phrase? Not by what? Not by works, but him who does what? Calls. Let's put a pin in that. We'll come back. She was told the older will serve the younger. So there was a prophecy attached to these twins. Just as it's written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. Okay. We all good? <laughs> like simple stuff, simple concepts. Like, oh, I know what he's talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? This is like you get into the weeds of like, what is he saying? Like, what is he trying to say? Like, help me understand. A Jew would understand exactly what he's saying because they knew their own story, right? They knew their own history. For us, I want to simplify it for us who are Gentiles, who don't have that messianic, like Jewish Israelite, like history, um, so that we understand exactly what he's saying here because we get into this complicated conversation about God's sovereignty, about free will, about his calling, about people being destined to be evil. Like, what is going on here, right? Like, he pre-picks, but we choose, ah, my brain hurts, right? Okay, so I'm going to do my best to first, we're going to unpack this one in a very simple way. What are you saying in this, in this verse? Fill in the blank. You can write this down. I'm going to be done early this today, okay? You can go home and, and have your picnic, okay? So this is what he's saying, okay? That God doesn't work on the basis of human connection. We're going to stop there. Let me explain it. He, he says, some who are born of Israel are not Israel, and some who are not born of Israel are Israel. What he's saying is, to be a part of God's family isn't about human connection. It doesn't matter who your parents were or who your grandparents were or if you have a lineage that traces back to Abraham, right? He's like, there are those who are not in the lineage, physically, the family tree of Abraham, who are children of the promise of God. That's you and me, by the way, right? And the majority of us don't have Jewish roots. Some of, us, some of you might, okay? But most of us don't have those genes in our bodies. So it doesn't work us being connected to God based upon human connection. And let me explain it this way. If I, if I talk about it this way today, um, for some of us who maybe, maybe our grandparents were really strong Christians, and we think, well, because my grandparents are Christians and went to church, and I think my parents went to church, I went to church like three times a year, mostly, you know, on the holidays. Like, that makes me a Christian because it was my grandparents and my parents and me, and that's not how it works. Your grandparents' decisions aren't your decisions, right? You don't get saved through heredity. That's not how it works, and that's what he's saying. The lineage, you're not saved because of... of uh, 
of your bloodstream or genetics. So you can't get into heaven and say, well, my parents were saved and went to church. So that's good for them. What about you? Okay, does that make sense? So he's saying it doesn't, that, that genetic connection in the promises of God isn't an equation, it's not part of the equation. It's really the adoption part that's the equation. That when, uh, okay, I'm gonna get, go sideways real quick. So it doesn't work on the basis of human connection. And it's not on human perfection. So it's not based upon you being good enough and a good enough person or doing the religion the right way and all the duties that you're supposed to do that gets you to be a child of the promise. There were Jews that followed the law to the T, but they were way far away from the promises of God because they thought it was based on works. That passage said, it is not based on our works, right? Our works don't get us to God. Our works, being good enough, doesn't get us to the ladder, the top of the ladder, the rung of heaven. Because even on our best day, we're still at the bottom rung. Amen? Amen. Like, like, we need to understand, and that's what, like, the first, the first three chapters that we dug into in the book of Romans was us understanding we are all equal as sinners. Like, none of us are perfect. We can't work to get there. All of this, the salvation and the promises of God are based on divine election. Now, this is where we get complicated. Let me... You think about the word election. Do you know when somebody is elected, it means somebody else voted for them, correct? They thought, I pick them, I'm voting for them. Our salvation is based upon God's voting for you. He voted for you. He said, I want them. I want them in heaven. He has a choice in the process. Now, again, I'm trying to make a complicated theological, doctrinal thing that churches, just to be honest with you, churches, you know, denominations, they go way far one way and way far another way, and they put names and labels on this kind of stuff that we talk about. And here at New Hope, we try to find the truth in the middle where we see God and the, and the challenge. Um, in this, the reality is God picked you. God picked Israel. God picked Abraham. Like, God has free will. He has choice. He can make choices because he is God. And the reality is, God's not fair. He's not. If you want a God who is absolutely fair, we would all be separated from him forever because that is what would be fair. We have a God who's not fair, and I'm really glad about it. Because that means any of us are welcome to the table. His grace, his patience, his mercy are a part of his character. And he chooses to operate and show those to imperfect creations. That is who our God is. So I don't know what your view of God. Maybe you're coming in here... And if you have the wrong view of God, you'll have the wrong view of salvation. If you see a God who is there to smite you, a God who is angry at all times, waiting to just pass judgment and just hammer you, how in the world will you ever come to that God? Because all you're going to try to do is be good enough to not get that hammering, right? Some of you have earthly families. That was your growing up experience. And now you transfer that to God. God will only love me if I'm good enough. 
He'll only love me if I hit that home run in my baseball game. They'll only love me if I clean up my room, right? And we transfer this human relationship with our relationship with God. That is not how he works. He loves you. Just because he chose to. He voted for you. And so there's a passage, I love this passage in 2 Peter 3, 9, that shows his character. It says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. Can you get an amen there? He is patient with you. (laughs) He is so patient with me. Not wanting anyone to perish. Who does he want to perish? No. No one. Like his desire is for people. He loves people. And he's created the opportunity, the way, and the promises, and the gift of salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. He gave up everything for us to be with him. That is who God is. And that is part of his patience, not waiting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He, that's his calling. His free will choice would be to make you all robots to love him and then to be with him forever. But he gives us free will. He has free will. We have free will. Because that's how love works. Love is based upon the... We use these triangles in the equip class. If you've been through equip, you know the, these three things that we talk about when we talk about what true love is. Like love is, is trust, free will. What's the third one? Anybody remember? Love, trust, and free will. It's those three. And this is God. He loves us like crazy. He trusts us with our free will to make decisions because if we don't have free will or trust, then there is no love. You have to have all three. And so in our relationship with God, we have to do the same thing with God. God, I love you, I trust you, and you have free will. You can do what you want in my life and in this world. And thank you for letting me choose you. Now we're getting complicated, okay? So, number one, God chose to reveal himself, his plan, and the Messiah through Israel. God doesn't work on the basis on human connection, Meaning, just because you're Israel doesn't mean you're saved, and just because you're not Israel doesn't mean you're not saved. It doesn't have to do with human uh, connection or human perfection. You can't climb to get there, but it's on the basis of divine election. He votes for you. He wants to see you in heaven. And so now we get to this complicated idea and doctrine of God's sovereignty and our free will. How does this work? I don't know. Let's pray. (laughs) <laughs> right? right. If God could be figured out, then he wouldn't be God. So there's some parts about him we aren't going to truly fully understand, and, um, but I'm going to try to help you understand today, okay? Okay, Let, let's keep reading. We, we see in the next verses actually where God talks about Pharaoh and hardening the hearts, like hardening Pharaoh's heart, and this, this gets a little troublesome, and let me help you understand this a little bit. The way I read this in Scripture, where it says that God hardened their heart, it's like, well, so that means God chose them for destruction. Let's get into God's choice, God's free will. But I still believe those that, whose hearts were hardened that we see as examples in scriptures were hardened before God started the process. Does that make sense? I mean, in our free will, we can already harden our hearts towards God. We can reject Him. We can do our own thing. And we see with Pharaoh, his heart was really for himself, in leading Egypt and leading his, his, his people. And, and when he says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, he then gave him opportunities to not be hardened by trying to wake him up with plague after plague after plague after plague. But what happened in that process? Did Pharaoh get harder or softer in repentance? Harder. So the way that God hardened his heart 
was in the process of trying to wake him up. Some people whose hearts are hard and they go through difficult situation after difficult situation after difficult situation, they have a choice. Does their heart get harder? Or do they turn in repentance? So this is that challenge between God's will and free will. That God will allow you to have a hardened heart and he will put situations in your life to hopefully break you, (laughs) to hopefully get you to a point of humility to come to him. He will allow those things, but it's your choice where your heart continue to harden towards him. Does that make sense? So we read those tensions of those passages like, what is going on? I'm like, well, we got God's will and got free will. And you have to look at the whole story. Where was God's will and where was somebody's free will in that process of the hardening of their hearts? And so we see that tension and then we get into verse 19, okay? Verse 19 to 25. Let's, let's see if we can unpack this and, and uh, understand that, that the God's sovereignty and our free will and how this works. He says, so one of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us for who is able to resist his will? But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? <laughs> he gets into this tense conversation, like, well, is it God or is it us? Or did he or, the, or did we? Or, ah, you know, like, like that whole tension. And, and some of you, we've all, okay, maybe not we all, but I'm, I'm assuming most of us in the room have had those moments where our fists have tried to read seven. If so, say amen. amen. Okay. He can deal with that. But there may be some times where he says, just so you know, you can try, but you don't want my fist to reach down from heaven because I'm the one that made you and I know the story. He's like, who is the created to judge God's creation and his plan and his will? Whoa. Go read the book of Job and you'll be messed up for life. All right, verse 21. (laughs) Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? What if God... And listen, he's asking these in questions, not as statements. Okay, be careful with the language. What if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the object of his wrath prepared for destruction? So what if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory, even us, whom he also called not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. Do you see all the question marks? It's like Paul is asking these questions like, if God did it for this reason, or if God did it for that reason. Or... But he's not saying it as God did it for this reason, God did it for that reason. He's asking questions. And these questions are the same questions we still wrestle with today. And then verse 25, as he says in Hosea, I will call them my people, who are not my people, and I will call her my love, loved one who is not my loved one. So in the end, the good news is God picks us who weren't from his lineage of Abraham, and he's going to do what he wants to do and show mercy who he wants to, and he's going to love who he wants to, that God's going to have his will. This is a paradox that we wrestle with. You know what a paradox is? It's not two ducks in a pond, okay? A paradox. It's two things that seem opposed but are not, right? It's that a paradox is a, is, is a situation of tension. This seems opposed to that. We have free will. God has free will. He wants everyone to be in heaven with him, 
but not everyone chooses him, but he, but he may send some to be separated from him for eternity, but he knows they're going to choose that from the beginning. Ah! This is where our finite minds that are confined by history, confined by the second-hand clicking time, can't understand the greatness of this thing called God's sovereignty, that he knew what was before he created it, he knows what is now, and he already knows what will be tomorrow, and yet he still chooses with the knowing that we get to choose in the middle of it. Mm. Man, this is complicated. God is above us in every way possible. In his intellect, the way he thinks, the way he acts, in his character, in his choice, that is his sovereignty. This is a part of God that we have to trust. Some of us have a hard time with that, with this whole trusting thing. God's will so does God, did God pick me to be saved? So do I even need to do anything? Because he already picked me, so I'm already going to be saved? Like, he knows I'm going to be, like, he, is my name? Where's my name? So let me help you understand. Let me use an illustration to help us understand this a little bit, okay? I'm hoping this kind of simplifies it a little bit. So imagine you found a, a, a job, and it is your dream job. Like, everything about the company you read about, you say, this was, like, made for me. And this was made for my gifting. This is like, I, I can't believe this place exists. And the more you read about it, the more you realize, I want to sign up and go get a job there. And so you show up to the office of this company and you say, I would like a job here. And they say, awesome. All you have to do is believe you have a job here. And you say, well, I believe I have a job here. Like, okay, awesome. And, and so they give you a job right then. And when you get that job, you're like, you've got to be, this is like a dream. This is amazing. You walk into the back room and you walk into the break room where there's lockers. And on those lockers, you already see that your name is on one of those lockers. And when you open it, you already have a badge with your picture on that badge that gives you access to everything in that company. And the boss walks into the break room while you're opening up the locker and says, hey, I'm so glad you're here. We've been waiting for you. And you're thinking, What? I just showed up today. He says, yeah, but we've been waiting for you. This is how God works. When you accept the gift of salvation he's given you is when you find out you already had a locker in the break room of heaven. And you get to be surprised by, you mean you already picked me, but I picked you. And he said, yes, that's how it works. I let you pick me, and I knew you were going to pick me, and I already picked you, and you already have a locker in the break room and a key to access to everything in heaven. What? Isn't that a beautiful surprise? This is how God's election works. You pick because he chose you, but you don't find out he chose you till you pick. So if you want to know if you're going to heaven, pick him. And then you'll find out, he already picked you. <laughs> and this is the good news of the gospel. This is a complicated idea. Hopefully I make it as simple as possible. Does this make sense to everybody? Oh, yeah. It is the greatest surprise of the gospel. Yeah. 
in the complexity of God's will and choice and our free will and our choice that both collide in the moment of salvation. This is the gift he's given us. So write this down. God has already chosen me. He's just waiting for me to choose him. It's all about faith. Faith is that thing some of you who are very logical human beings don't like because you need a reason for everything and you're not going to have a reason for everything with God. You're not going to have a reason for everything in the scripture. You're not going to have an answer for all of the things you've been through to date and what's going to happen in the future. That's why it's called faith. You're not saved by reason. It's not saved by grace through reason. That's not the scripture. You're saved by grace through faith. That's what it requires. It takes faith to walk into that company to say, I want a job here. I'm, I'm taking a faith step to say, I want in. I want that relationship with the boss, with God. That's that faith journey and step of saying, I don't know what's on the other side. I don't, know, I don't even fully understand how all this works. All I know is if that is God and God truly loves me and he has forgiveness for my sins forever and he wants me to be in his presence forever in eternity where there's no more sorrow or sin or brokenness or shame, and that is all erased. I want that and I am gonna put my faith in the person that did that for me, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross to pay for my sin on that cross. Sin costs a life. It's either going to be yours or his, and you can't pay for it. Only the perfect sacrifice can, Jesus Christ. God opened up the gift of salvation through his son, Jesus Christ, so that we have the span of our sin and our debt forgiven through the cross to have access to heaven forever. Eternity with his loving father, who isn't an angry boss, who is a loving father welcoming you into his house. He's already chosen me. He's just waiting for me to choose him. It's all about faith. You have to trust that this is true. This is Hebrews 11. If you want a faith chapter, Hebrews 11 is this. Oh, do I not have it up here? I don't have it up here. This is Hebrews 11, right? Hebrews 11 one says, now faith is the confidence. I mean, it's the, it's the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. That's faith. It's knowing that you know that God said, so it is. And I just have to trust it. I don't fully understand it. I can't fully reason it. But I'm putting my faith in that. And it is the assurance about what we do not see. We cannot see salvation. You can't physically see God. You wouldn't survive it in your current state. Like, we, we can't be there yet. But our faith says he is. And that he saved me. You put faith in things every day you don't know about. Did you know that? Everybody do this for me. Real quick, I'm going to count to three. We're going to take a deep, rich breath. Ready? One, two, three. Breathe in. And breathe out. That took a lot of faith, y'all. Did you know, in this room right now, there are particles of oxygen just floating around, doing their thing. I can't see any of them. When I breathe in, I'm trusting all that oxygen is coming into this body. I can't see it. I don't understand it. I don't know the science behind it. It goes into this body, and I have these things called lungs. And they take what needs to be taken out of that oxygen and puts it into my body, and I go... 
and all the bad stuff comes out. Carbon, carbon dioxide, right? Is that what comes out of us? Some other things come out of y'all, but like, <laughs> that's what comes out, right? And so the thing my body doesn't need is exhaled. And then again, I do it again. How many of you thought about how much you just took breaths the entire time I was just preaching this message? None of you. If you did, you got some OCD issues, right? Like, <laughs> but most of us don't count our breaths while we're just sitting there. We have faith. We have faith that the oxygen is in the room and that it's doing what it needs to do. This is what we do with God. God, I have faith that you have saved me. I have accepted Jesus as the sacrifice for my sins. And I have faith that I'll be with you once forever in heaven and that you have saved me and you've already chosen me. I chose you. That is faith. Y'all with me? So today, this was my last point. You don't have to fully understand it. Just enjoy it. There's so much of God that we don't understand, but you get to enjoy his promises. You get to enjoy his presence. You get to enjoy his love. You get to experience it. So just enjoy it. God, thank you for your word this morning. I pray that it has made sense. Holy Spirit, that you've helped it make sense to us. Thank you for choosing us and giving us the free will to choose you. Just lead us in, a, in a, just a short moment of response, God. Just lead us in this time for whatever you want to say to us. I do want to take a moment of response. And first, I want to talk to the Christ followers in the room. And I'm wondering, I'm wondering if today or right now or maybe the season you're in, if you have doubts of God, like what he's up to, what he's doing. Maybe you're in a difficult situation that you're just trying to figure out. We've learned Romans 8, 28, God wants to turn those things to good, meaning a difficult situation becomes our holiness. He uses it to change us and to grow us. So where are you seeing God doing that in your life? Maybe to prune something out of your life that isn't good, that isn't right, that doesn't look like Christ, or, or whether it's something that you just need to get through with him. I would encourage you today, increase your faith right? Increase your faith in what he wants for you and the promises he has for you. And don't, don't harden your heart. That's the last thing that you want to do in that season. And I want to talk to those in this room that you don't know this God yet. You don't have a relationship with him and all this stuff I'm talking about. You're like, I still don't understand it. But maybe today the Holy Spirit's been pounding out of your chest and he's been trying to get your attention and he wants to call you to a relationship with this Heavenly Father. I've already kind of let you know the gospel. God loved you so much, he sent his one and only son to die on the cross, to pay for your sin, and to make a way for you to be with him forever. When you confess and believe in your heart, that's what Jesus did for you. He justifies you, just as if I hadn't sinned. That's what he does. He makes us right. And that salvation happens in a moment. And if you want that gift, and he's calling you today, I want you to pray and receive that gift today, and I would love to talk to you after the gathering. So if that's you, whether you're here, those of you joining online, if this is you, listening later, you can pray to him and confess to him and ask him, and he promises to save you and to come into you and come into your life. And so you can say this. You can say, God, please forgive me of my sins. 
I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that Jesus died for my sins and that he is alive today, seated at your right hand, interceding for me. Would you please enter into my heart, enter into my life, and give me your Holy Spirit? I want to be yours, God. I want to be part of the family. I want to be forgiven. I want to be saved. And I want hope in this life. So fill me up. And I just ask this only in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. And God, for all of us this morning, we just thank you for the reminder of how good you are that your story might be complicated, but it's good, and that you can help us understand where we are in your story today. Help us as we leave this morning to leave loved, to leave forgiven, to leave freed, to leave with hope, and that you would increase our faith this week. And it's in Christ and we pray. Everybody said amen. 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 Awesome. Um, Hey, if you made a decision today, I would love to talk to you. I'm going to be hanging right